Hello and welcome once again to The Good, The Bad and The Worst, the podcast where we look at trilogy, series and other meaningful bodies of filmmakers' works and try to figure out which film gets left at the train station in Vienna waiting for their soulmate. Joining me today... My name is Luke and everything we know is Stardust. So don't forget, you are Stardust. And I'm Andrew, and I'd like to invite you to my play. It's on later tonight, and I play a handgun. It's called Chekhov's Play. And since we spent so much time talking about this, you'll definitely show up. Fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward. So all this means, obviously, we're talking about the Before Trilogy. That is the films Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Uh, all three films were released at nine-year intervals in 1995, 2004, and 2013. All were directed by Richard Linklater, and all three had scripts collaboratively penned by Linklater and the stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, as well as Kim Krasan getting a writing credit on Before Sunrise. Um, before we get into any other facts, I guess, what did you guys think of the Before films? I was kind of blown away by these movies. I, these like art house and rom- romance are not sort of genres or, or types of films that I would normally seek out when I go to a, like go to look for a movie. I never spent much time in the romance aisle at the video shop when I was a kid. But I've got to say, I really, really enjoyed these movies. Um, I just felt they were really, yeah, they did a really good job of showing this relationship over time. They felt very real. Um, yeah, and I, even movies that have a ton of talking can be grating sometimes, I find. But I did find that the conversations in these movies seemed very natural um, yeah, and I love that they just captured, like, in the first one, they captured this really, really cool, like, the, the sense of awkwardness of this new relationship of these people getting to know each other, and yeah. then that moves on to the next next one where they're a bit older and they're a bit more confident, and then the third one obviously has this this fight that's that's kind of hard to watch. It's kind of hard to see these people that you kind of been enjoying watching for these couple of movies get into this this brawl. But yeah, I, re- I just had a really good time. Enjoy, I really enjoyed these movies, and it really surprised me. That's awesome, Luke. So a few months ago, my wife want, wanted to watch these films and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings. So she went and watched them on her own and she kept telling me after each one, like, wow, like that was, it's really good. Like it's very well written. It's acted great. Like she was like, it just, it's just conversations. It's really interesting. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Lord of the Rings was great. Um, And then... <laughs> When I found out we were going to do this, she was very excited and we sat down, we watched them again, like together for the first time. And yeah, sort of similar to uh, Griner, I was kind of enraptured through these films. I was very captivated throughout, the, especially the first one, I was just like so invested and just enjoying it that time sort of just went by quick. And I feel like they're not very long films, you know, they're usually hour 20, hour and a half. So, and it breezes by, I found. And then after watching the first one, obviously I wanted to wait the nine years before watching the second one, but I kind of wanted to watch them as soon as possible. So even though I had plans like I'll watch it after five days and then the next one after another five days, two days would go by and I'm like, let's watch that tonight. I'm like, I want to watch the next one now. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And like Grana said, I found it very real. I think the script is phenomenal how they portray like a real conversation about how these people meeting and everything like that. It feels very natural, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed them. Yeah, just just wanted to say, yeah, I, like the other thing I really appreciated was the length of these movies. Like, I find some movies that are heavy and dollar can be a little bit self-masturbatory. Like, they just want to have these <laughs> incredibly long conversations, and they're very um, philosophical. And I feel like this movie mostly, really, of these movies, really mostly avoided that. And I, yeah, I just really appreciated that they knew what they were. They didn't try and stretch it out for two and a half hours, three hours, like. Boom, an hour and a half, you're done. 
yeah experience. Yeah. I think yeah, it's definitely to its um it's to its benefit that it doesn't go too much longer. I think it could wear thin. Um, look, it's funny you say that because I think these films they're kind of this weird example where they do really benefit from that long expanse of viewing where seeing it if you saw it in 95 and then saw it in 2004 no one was expecting the sequel to come out no one even knew they wanted it but then it is kind of this weird like it's like catching up with an old friend it's like oh i remember enjoying this i don't remember much of the details like the characters i don't really remember what we did and there's that great scene in uh before sunset where they sort of have that conversation about if they had sex or not and it's kind of each time i see that it takes me by surprise i'm like oh wow we actually we don't know i can't remember if they did i sort of it's all a bit blurry and it's just this really great sort of representation of time passing and sort of how that plays on your memories and your insecurities and all that stuff. Yeah, I think I think that would have been good watching them with that time gap and being basically in there with the characters like, oh, I don't know if that actually did take place. Whose side am I on? Did you, how long apart did you watch them when you watched these originally? So I saw the first couple, I saw Before Sunrise, that was in my formative film year. So when I was still a teenager, I was, I can't remember, 17 or 18 or something, kind of, you know, prowling through IMDb at 2 a.m. and being like, oh, I've never heard of this. Oh, it's a film that's all dialogue all. This one's in one afternoon. It sounded really interesting. So I saw the first one there. I saw the second one, I think, a lot sooner, um, but it wasn't crazy close. And then I didn't see Before Midnight because obviously that came out in um, 2013. So I actually didn't see that for several years. And so that was really kind of cool going back to that and being like, oh, this is kind of weird and it's like I, I had a sort of disjointed memory about it and it really did enhance that situation of just sort of how we embellish memory and how we sort of forget the unimportant stuff but the experience is kind of what matters going on that like these have they were really like informative to my sort of philosophy and a lot of the stuff like I still sort of think as there's some of the little conversations that they have and sort of I don't know just that idea of like you know you're in your 20s and you kind of want to talk philosophy and I don't think without without even realizing it that's what i was like when i was like a 19 20 year old living at like at student housing like i wanted to talk philosophy and think i was deeper than i actually was and i'm just like i wonder if part of that came from viewing this as being like oh this is this is how people like because they feel so real right you definitely get the sense that they kind of grew out of that by there's not so much philosophy in the second film the third film delves back into it but like yeah the first one they're they're trying to up each other on their I don't know, just he's talking about reincarnation and all this stuff and all these high-minded ideas, or at least he thinks they are anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great. I think it it has that part where they basically, yeah, it does feel like they're, they're being very deep and, like, philosophical and everything, and it's like they're trying to impress each other with, like, no, I'm very deep and wondrous about the world. And it's like I'd never thought about it until now, but, like, watching them, I was like, oh, my God, this is Conan, like, when I first met you. <laughs> Is this why you talk like that? Now I understand, yeah. That's why I cut my hair a certain style for many years as well. Yeah, um, yeah I think, yeah, it's, they're a little bit pretentious, but they're a little bit charming. It's just, it's great. I guess we can get right into it. Do you guys think that this deserves to be a trilogy? I'd be, I'd be keen for even a fourth one, honestly. Like, that's nine years. I mean, it's probably only, what, seven years, two, two or three years now. So let's have another one. Let's see what they're doing in their 50s or whatever. Yeah. I'd be totally up for it. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. Like, does this deserve to be a quadrilogy? That, why not just take this till they're 80 and just see how <laughs> much it played out? I, um, I, I like it as, as a trilogy, but absolutely after I finished it, I was like, I could go another one and, you know, see where they're up to now. And it kind of would feel like that, not as much, because we didn't watch this back in 2013, but it would sort of have that thing as well now, like catching up with them now and everything like that. So 
no, I think it'd be good, but I feel like definitely the way it's structured and the way it's set out is like a perfect trilogy setup, even though the first one, it would be great on its own as this like little indie romance film and with an ambiguous ending, that would be very powerful as well. But as a trilogy, it definitely has its, has its place. Yeah. I was trying to, th- I was thinking about this while sort of preparing. This is kind of like, I feel like this would almost be one of like the best trilogies, like up there with Lord of the Rings and up there with Star Wars. In terms of it is three phenomenal films. There's no real, there's no sort of, I don't know, there's, there's not really much wrong with them outside of them being pretty peculiar and requiring, like they're not everybody's cup of tea for sure. But as films, they're just, they're really hard to fault. And I'm like, it's very rare that you find a trilogy that has that, where it's, there's usually one weak link that's pretty clear, or there's usually one, you can see like, oh, this should, this needed to end earlier. But these films, it's like, they actually never, like I said, Luke, they never needed to be more of them. But they actually get better each time because it is this sort of capsulation of, of time and of life and stuff. Hmm. <laughs> what, what's that noise? You don't, we'll, we'll get you into that conversation. So? I don't know if it gets better with each film, but they're definitely three like great amazing films like and it is hard to fault them like i don't think there's a bad one but i wouldn't necessarily say it gets better with each one but we'll get into that something else i just really appreciated about this as a trilogy is that like it's very much a film about these two characters and their dialogue with each other and you could probably forgive it if it was just shot almost like a sitcom like two cameras swapping back and forth but you get all these really cool long shots where they're just having this huge conversation and like the filmmaking is really outstanding in all these films too. I think like there's just so many scenes like I like I don't know how they these two talk to each other for that long without making a mistake. You've got kids in the back of the car that are pretending to sleep and they're doing a good job. Like there's just so many scenes like this that just go on for so long, and it's just I like it. Not only is it is it it's really good like it's really interesting material, but they just seem to be very well made films as well. That that's the thing. There's there's a few certain like you know longer scenes of them walking and talking where at the end of it, I was like, wait, was there a camera cut there? I felt like we just watched them walk from one side of the city to another without, and they just had this perfect conversation. And especially doing a little bit of research into it, apparently like a lot of people thought, you know, it was very, um, it had, there'd have to be some improv in there, the way they're talking, but apparently it was very to the script. Like they, they didn't, they stuck to the script completely, which blows my mind with how natural and real the conversations felt. And especially with how long they went, you know, they walk for 20, 20, it feels like 20 minutes, sometimes 25 minutes just talking. And it feels like you're just walking along, observing these people talk, which is, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Like there's that, um, there's that great scene in Before Midnight, the car trip back from the airport where it's, it, you're right, it's like a 20, 25 minute thing. And it is one take, it's one shot, one take. A lot of the other walking conversations have cuts back and forth behind them or sort of to another angle slightly. So you don't really notice it. But in Before Midnight especially, Linklater's filmmaking is just, like, it's 11 out of 10. He's on, you can see sort of his craft getting better each film as he just, as he becomes sort of further on in his career. Um, and yeah, and that, that dialogue is so interesting. Like, obviously these three characters, or these two characters and him wrote it all together. And so it's, these are conversations they all said, this is what we would say, this is what we do. But you're right, it feels, it feels like an improv. It feels like sort of a, you know, kind of like that mumblecore or like that improv comedy that came up with like the Apatow era, like 2004-ish, where it's just these comedians riffing off each other. And that feels real because it is real. And this sort of has that same integrity, but it's actually, you know, it's all scripted. It's all like to the letter. It's just like fantastic writing and acting. Everything's just going so well. Yeah. 
Um, in an interview, Linklater has suggested that he would be interested in making a fourth film about 50, 60 years from now. Well, maybe not that long considering how old, but a long time from now in an Amour style where one of them has to euthanize the other. How would you guys feel about that, about Celine killing Jesse? Jeez, that's dark. Yeah, that is dark. I don't know if... I don't know if that's what we were going for with a fourth one. I just want to see if the, how they are in like two years' time. I, don't I mean, mean, take it up with Link later. I don't want to be on my deathbed watching them on their deathbed because in 50 <laughs> years, we all could be getting euthanized. Who knows? I mean, my question after midnight was, are they still together after this movie anyway? Like, how much longer do they last? Very much a theme of that movie is that relationships aren't meant to last, supposedly anyway, according to that movie. I don't know. It's Yeah. It's a good question. I mean... I, yeah, I think I would just love to see any whatever they do, whether it be horribly depressing or whether it be like the cycle repeats. His son, his son goes to Vienna, and it's like, will he have a little meet cute? Who knows? All right, fan favorite category, Dennis Franz. Who could he play? I mean, there's literally two characters in these movies. <laughs> it has to be Does Celine, he... right? I'd watch Ethan Hawke flirting with Celine for sure. Uh, no, I'd have him as the, I'd have him as the um, either the author in uh, Before Midnight, like the famous one that's hosting the dinner, or the guy that writes the poem on the side of the street. Yeah, that's a good one. one. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, or oh, he's the bartender that they rip off and never actually pay back for that free bottle of wine that they get. Oh, that's a good one too. Sunrise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Luke, both those answers are mine. The correct answer is Patrick. He's the right age. He's the right sort of. <laughs> stature i would yeah. i like the idea of dennis franz being this like prolific author but um yeah, maybe in a director's cut yeah all right i guess this is a hard category but wooden spoon the worst film i need to make it clear that just like lord of the rings worst is not a fair title at all it's comparing it's like comparing austria to france to greece they're all wonderful in their own ways little stories there are all great <laughs> but um like i was saying earlier i think this is going to be a bit of a litmus test of like the one we think's the worst might be the one that we resonate with too much, or maybe it's the one that we don't resonate with at all. I'm not sure. So I'm interested in uh, trying to psychoanalyze you guys, which you think's the worst. So I've gone, I've really gone back and forth on this over the last two days. I couldn't decide between um, before midnight and before sunset as the not the weaker obviously because they're both great beyond sunrise is my favorite of the three um i don't know if that's just the romance of me that it feels more bright and cheery and less it's like you know honeymoon period of a film uh but i think my answer for this it's it's really hard because there's parts in beyond uh before i keep going to say beyond before midnight <laughs> It t- I will say with Before Midnight, there was a section there I didn't really enjoy and that takes up about 20 minutes of that film and it took a little bit for me to get back into it. And then once it did, I was like, oh, okay, no, this is good. I'm back in the flow of it and watching and enjoying this. While before Sunset, I didn't have that. I was sort of enjoying it most of the time. But I, I'm not a big fan of the ending with Before Sunset. So. Oh. Big, big claims. I disagree, disagree wholeheartedly. Uh, so, okay, I'm talking about specifically, I like when they get to the apartment, I like the her singing the song and everything like that. Then oh, after yeah. that, where she's 
just walking around singing to that song and dancing awkwardly. She's, she's reenacting Nina Simone, man. Yeah, and I don't I didn't like any of that. I didn't I don't know. And then just with the you're gonna miss your um your flight and he's like, Yeah <laughs> Baby, you are gonna miss that plane. I know. I didn't think that was as good as ending as the first one. Oh, I, I love that. Like, you're going to miss your flight. I know. That's that's like that's like Han Solo saying, I love you. <laughs> like, it's the same. It seems like a classic line to me. Yeah, it speaks volumes. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't think it felt as natural with him sitting there and her reenacting, like, the whole thing with Nina Simone and walking around the apartment. It felt like it went for, like, six, seven minutes. And it, I don't know, I personally didn't enjoy it as much as the, the rest of their interactions. But when I finished the trilogy, my answer for this was uh, Before Midnight was the weaker of them. Um, now, I talked to my wife about this during the film because I paused it. This was the only one I felt like I kept pausing to discuss certain things about. Where I was like, oh, I don't know about this, but compared to the other ones where I felt like I was just enraptured the whole time and was just sort of hooked. So with Before Midnight, I don't know if it's because I really enjoyed their two chemistry. I didn't enjoy the dinner with the author and the big conversation with everyone. I don't know if that's the introvert in me that just doesn't like more people. That's the worst. I just want two people. Um, but just everyone vibing. It was good and it goes with the whole thing where it's very it's scripted very well and the conversation flows well. I just wasn't as... I don't know, captivated by the conversation. And there is that awkward moment where she's pretending to play a bimbo and and it is awkward for everyone at the table because she's sort of taken a shot at him and he sort of understands it too, but he plays back with her a bit about it. And it's probably by design that it goes a bit too long, but it feels like she plays that for like three or four minutes and it's like, oh, I don't know. It, I didn't enjoy that scene in particular. And then when, once it was back to them two again, I was like, okay, no, I've, this has clicked for me again, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Grana, your thoughts? Yeah, I was, um, I, well, I'll say before, before Sunset was my favourite of the three. I really enjoyed that film. We'll get more into our favourites later, I guess, but I just, have to, I just have to tell you, Luke, that I wholeheartedly disagree with you on that. But Before Midnight <laughs> was the one that I was going to say was the weakest as well. I feel like... I was, yeah, I was ready to write that movie off at the start. Like, I'm like, well, they've added a heap of characters. What is this? Like, I don't care about these other writers. I don't care about these other people. The dinner scene didn't bother me as much. It was more, it was more the scene where Jesse is sitting with the, with the guys and they're just talking and they're just, he's talking about some book and it's just very wanky. Like, I just didn't, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. it didn't do it for me. Wasn't the biggest fan of that, that particular scene. And I, but I, the dinner scene was was important. Like I did enjoy that. It definitely showed, it showed like the faces of these movies around the around the table almost. Like you've got the young couple, the more middle aged couple, and the the older couple. Well, they're not even really a couple. Are they a couple? I don't know. They don't really go into it. But he's lost his yeah. wife, and this is his friend. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's never explained. I like that. Wife or something. I like yeah, that. Yeah, like there's of... definitely there's definitely a lot behind that scene, and I didn't hate that scene. But like midnight did really, like I did really enjoy the the last half of that movie, like the fight, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call it. But like, yeah, it's, um, it's a thing to watch. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it hits you and it, it feels very real. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did, I, I wanted to ask you guys this question. Have you guys ever had a, 
do you have you guys ever found that in your relationships when you're on holidays the fights are worse have you guys ever had that experience (laughs) always 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 like on a holiday or right before a big family gathering or something where you're about to leave and to go somewhere in front of 20 people where it's going to be awkward for everyone because people can tell something's bubbling under the surface always Always. I don't know what it is about holidays or those events or things. I don't know. It, but it does seem to bring out the worst in everyone somehow. It's true. Yeah. Everyone, so I, everyone could, I could really relate to the fight. I mean, not. I've never had a fight like that, I must say. But I could relate to, to getting annoyed at each other on holidays when it should be this perfect place where you're really enjoying yourself. So For sure. that's the thing. From where, like my perspective with the third one, similar to what you were saying, I, I wasn't enjoying like the whole conversations with the other people. Um, because I, I, you know, I wanted to see what they were going. I enjoyed the car scene. I, I enjoyed the scene with his son at the start of the airport. And then it goes Great through scene. that and it goes, does go for about 20 minutes while they're interacting with those other people. Then once they, once they came out of that and they're on their own again, I was like, okay, this is good. But I also had another moment where I was like, for a moment I was like, oh, see, this is the thing. With the first one, there were this like, they like vibed really well off each other because they're playing these two young people who have met on this thing and the second one they're reuniting after nine years and i was like the third one i don't know if they can pull off this like they feel like a people who have been together for living together for nine years and they've got these kids but then once they start talking about oh we don't really know how to act around each other without the kids here i relate to that a lot like being a father it is strange once the kids are out of there because it's like a full-time job that you have with these kids 24-7 for five years and then you get one night like or something without the kids and it's sort of like, oh, how do we talk again? Oh, okay, that's uh, and not talk about the kids and try and just be a couple in, again instead of these slaves to children. Um, and, yeah, so that and that felt real as well about like it. it is similar, like, you know, having a night without the kids and there's like a fight every now and again. It's like, Oh, this is meant to be like a good time. Not to give you too much of a peek into my life, but <laughs> that's, you know, it's, it, it was very, um, it did feel real that, that whole fight and issues that are bubbling there definitely feels real. Yeah. Litmus test. This speaks too truthfully to Luke's relationship. There you go. <laughs> no. Kind of, what gonna... was your, what's your vote? Spanner in the works. My vote's before sunrise. I think that's the weakest. <gasps> Why? See, just because you're gasp. A, everyone you're a, says you're a, you're a cynical man. But... I was like, love. Don't be stupid. There's no such no. thing as a true love. <laughs> I was like, no one stops in Vienna and gets off with a strange dude with that haircut and a turtleneck. That's honestly. that's incredibly like this movie remade 2020. Never happens. <laughs> <laughs> he gets arrested. Yeah, police rock up in minute 25. And so, well, that was a film. Yeah. I think, all right, so before Sunrise, Wicker's film. Here's my reasoning. I think it definitely feels a lot rougher. It's it's a film finding out what it is. It's a concept more than anything. It's um doesn't really, it's finding its feet, which obviously you can't blame it for because it's the first one, but it, but then you can say it's to its detriment. As I said before, I think it does feel a little bit more pretentious. Um, Obviously, it's kind of like, it definitely feels like a passion project of Generation X. So, obviously, Linklater is obsessed with time and, like, these sort of grand things, like, Dave's and Confused, this, Boyhood. They're all, he's obsessed with time and just everyday life in terms of, like, slacker, 
that's sort of what he's into. Just like following people and seeing what's just what's happening in the real world, sort of that kind of almost non-dramatic drama. And so this really feels like he's, when he was younger, he's trying to figure that out. He's like, what do I like? Oh, I like time. I like capturing moments in like everyone's day. What's this? And so that's why he's, he's sort of figuring out what this looks like, how it functions. Whereas I think for Sunset, spoiler alert, alert I agree, I think it's the best film, has an incredibly tight structure and an incredibly tight sort of foundation. And then before Midnight is technically just like thematically and technically, it's really, really, really good. And then I also think that Before Sunrise has probably the worst standalone moments. The poet's kind of weird. The word and then, then I will write a poem with the word inside. His poem's, mm. not, his poem's not really that cute. The fashion's terrible. Grunge bars were a lot, would have been more packed out than that. It's very, like, spacious. I'm like, no, nah, they would have been crowded and gross. Bar, spacious bartend- and quiet, like you can actually hear them talking to <laughs> Exactly. Each. Not going to happen. Bartenders don't just give bottles of wine to the tourists. Yeah. They're like, hey, listen, man, I'll pay you back. And like, yeah, cool. So, you know, a lot of moments yeah. that are forgiven for the sake of, like, drama or plot, which fine, but I think they're weaker, so. Bar owners that believe in young love would do that. No Senate bar owners believe in young love. That. They're bar owners. Okay. Um, that's the thing. I did, I did think that watching the first one, when they go into that grunge bar, I was like, like, this sort of feels like a set. I was like, it doesn't, it feels very like, <laughs> exactly. spacious and like, it was the only time I felt like that. Um, there's a huge lineup of people outside waiting to get in, but there's lots of room in here. <laughs> not true. I didn't even, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, so that's, that's my, but I, I figure coming into this, we're all going to actually have a different, I was, I was kind of hoping we'd all, we'd all hate one different the most and we'd all like a different one, but so I'm happy with this spread. I think it's, I think it's good. Um, so it makes how, this question. Oh, yeah. I was just gonna say, how do you feel about the additional characters at the start of Midnight? Like that seems to be Luke and my sticking point with that movie. Do you feel it detracts from it a bit, or I don't, because I think it fits really perfectly with the theme of that film, where it is, it's middle age, it's life after romance, it's it's what happens once the fairy tale is done. So obviously, the first film you've got the fairy tale, and it's literally it's like, oh, I assume they live happily ever after. But we don't know. And then before sunset, you're like, oh, we actually didn't live happily ever after. But then maybe they do it. So it's kind of like this realistic answer to that. And then before midnight is like, this is actually life after the fairy tale. This is what happens when you get the girl. This is what happens when true love triumphs. Real life steps in. And sort of having, you know, you have friends. And I don't know, I I found that really resonant at this time. Like that dinner scene is kind of awkward, but it's also... I'm like, I wish I could have, I love the idea of going to a dinner party and being that connected <laughs> with like six people. Like, I can't. <laughs> so then just being all sort of getting along really well and easy. I'm like, man, that's that's ideal right there. But then sort of the it, awkward, like their interactions where it's like they're almost having a fight in a few times and she's like, he's going to move to Chicago. And he's like, that's not what I said. I didn't say that. And I'm like, I've done those exact things. I've had those conversations at places where it's like yeah. my beautiful, darling, lovely wife, you know, might say something and I don't handle it well. And I sort of mutter under my breath and I do that. And she can sort of tell that I shouldn't have said like, Things like that feel really real. I'm like, that is, that's life there. And so I think those real characters bring out, they, they prevent it from going stagnant of just being like, they're in middle age, they've got kids, but we never see them interact with the broader world. Like, that'd be kind of strange. Whereas in the other two, it makes total sense. Yeah, okay. Like, I, I enjoyed the dinner scene. It was more the scenes before that, especially him with his writer friends, I felt was yeah, just unnecessary. So I'll just, I'll jump in. Like, that's the thing. The dinner scene wasn't the worst, but it, I was talking about more about that whole area, like to start with. 
And definitely the part Griner's talking about where he's just like giving all these book ideas and talking about, and like he does sound very wanky, like, oh, and this this guy will be like this, and this is a great idea. It's very pretentious. And then this other guy here who we don't know, like at this point, I don't know who these people are. I'm like, who's this pervert guy that just keeps talking about sex every time? (laughs) He's like, oh, when does the sex come into the conversation? You know, it's like... I was like, okay, I don't know who you are. Like, where's the couple talking? So that I didn't vibe with. But same as you, Conan, um, my wife, after that dinner scene, was just like, man, I wish I could have, like, dinner parties with that and talking to people. (laughs) Like, And like you've said, you've had that, you know, sitting at a dinner table and, like, awkwardly, subtly having having a fight but not really subtle. You know, like, my wife and do that with just our two kids at the table because we don't (laughs) go to dinner parties. You know, my five-year-old sitting there like Jesse Pinkman awkwardly just looking at us like, oh, what's going on? Um, <laughs> Definitely been on the other side it, of it too, though, seeing another couple do that as well. Like, it's just like... <laughs> see, I have that at every family gathering. There's always couples that are like, like, oh, man, they're still fighting over that thing. Let's play charades or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, don't I, you I remember think... what happened last time when we played charades? Dennis did this. <laughs> just... I, I think that... I think that scene's important though, because it, because I agree, like that is the kind of one that before I watched Midnight, looking back to him, like that was a scene that I remember not enjoying as much. And so it is, that's the weakest part, sure, that where he's talking about book ideas. But I do think it kind of, it, it adds a lot to it. Like it adds kind of that he, Jesse is a pretentious character. Like he's never, he's not this grounded, like sort of, he's, I don't know, as a writer, He's what I'm sure I sound like to people and what people think of me, but I also think that I'm not like that. So I think that's kind of his view of himself as well, that he has a lot of good ideas and he's always like, this is how I want to be. This is what I wish. But then we keep, like he says it in Before Sunrise, he's like, I have this idea. I want to be a great father and a great husband. And then he just keeps screwing this up. Like this is kind of his nature. He's got these ideas and he's got these sort of wanky things, a little, but he's, his nature kind of underpin, undermines him a bit. And so when they're talking about how the third book he wrote was a flop, it's like, maybe he's not a great writer. Maybe he's actually got a bigger head than he thinks. And like he nailed it with this, with this true life story twice, but maybe he's actually not talented. And it's kind of unpacks that a bit more. I'm like, this is the legacy he has to live. He's done, he's, he's bottled lightning twice. And Celine taps into that a little bit where she's like, later on, she's like, you think you're, I can't remember the lines, like you think you F like some famous author. Um, and it's like, but maybe he's not a great author. Maybe he's actually just gotten lucky. And it's like, it sort of challenges his idea as a character and forces him, I think, without realizing it at that moment, to confront the reality that maybe he's not great at this. Maybe he's actually a screw up in life. Maybe it's the director's self commentary that the third one would be rated our wooden spoon one day on this podcast. Maybe. I think the uh, the other thing, the writer scenes do work well too because like when he's describing it to his friends they're interested in what he's saying and they think oh that's a good idea or even if they don't like the idea they're still interested in what he's saying but when he's telling Celine these ideas when they're walking to the the hotel like you can tell she's a lot less interested in it than than his friends are like she's kind of over his stories that he tells all the time like she's mm. like oh, I like that other story better like she just is not really she's very flippant with it doesn't really care as much and you can just see how that that charm has worn off on her yeah and see on that moment I think Obviously, if I'm if I'm outvoted, that's fine. But I don't think Before Midnight can be the wooden spoon because it has this fulfillment of all these little tidbits that we see from one and two come to fruition. But they they mention in number one how he's like, I think you'd get sick of me of all these little bits, and she's like, No, no, I think that's what makes me love people more. I would love the fact that you have the little bit of red in your beard, and she makes that comment. 
And then we see it in number three. We see exactly that. Like, she's not interested in his how he's constantly talking about his stories and his ideas. And she even says in one part, the little bit of red in your beard is gone. It's and and it's the the same thing with them watching the sunset. And they're like going, it's it's still there, and it's gone. And they both like mm. just sit there and just reflect on their own life together. And they're just like, it's exactly. gone. It's gone. It's I think that's what I mean, man. But you can't say, you, oh. you can't really say that's why the third one's better is because it culminates the trilogy. That's like you, that's like saying Return of the King's obviously the better one than the fellowship because it has the endings that pay off everything. That was my vote in the podcast for austerity, posterity's sake. But no, you're right. You can't just say because it finishes, it's good. But I do think that in a in a less than perfect hand, that would fall apart and just be another film. But Linklater and Delpy and Hawk do it so well where they make sure they're like, hey, these are actually our characters, what they were saying. These are all the little stones we've set up and it all pays off. It's not just like, it's it's like ultimate foreshadowing. It's all these great things that no one even remembers. There's no like comment about it. There's no like, Hey, didn't you once say that you loved my beard? She's like, oh yeah. It's like we have to pick that up. Mm. We actually have to notice these things. It's like, wow, we're actually we're seeing this couple, this dinner party, fighting over things that we already know they've once said they loved about stuff. It's like, it's it's a it's phenomenally well constructed to make all that pay off. Yeah, I think. I think I think um, you benefit from having seen these movies before, though. Like I think before sun before sunrise definitely has a real charm about it, especially if you're not used to that kind of movie and haven't seen. Like, haven't seen these movies before. Like, there's definitely a charm to Before Sunrise that, like, you know, it's watching it a second time isn't there so much. There was, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. There was something Grana said in the group chat before that, like, caught, caught him by surprise. And definitely when I sat down to watch Before Sunrise, it caught me by surprise. I was like, oh, okay, let's get this romance movie out of the way. And I was enraptured, start to finish. I found it so charming. Um, good vibes it is it's it is like the fairy tale and can be a bit cliche that way but i know it was done better than most i've ever seen in this sort of genre i really enjoyed the dynamic i really enjoyed watching them five of each other i love the scene in the the music studio where it's just silence for like two minutes and they're just both missing each other looking at each other and everything like that it's really sweet it's really really well there yeah. yeah yeah it's it's really sweet and I love the ambiguous of like the ambiguity of the ending and everything like that. It's there's something special about it. The fortune teller. I love that in Before Sunrise they like they show that there's cracks under the surface that will plague them down the line with like Ethan Hawke's cynicism and everything like that. With the whole fortune teller, with the whole oh he probably like wrote that has that poem written and he just changes the one or two lines. And it's so funny because yeah, I had idea. that same thought in my head. As you read the poem out, I was like, I bet, I bet that's just a poem. Even though it's just a character, I was like, I bet that's just a poem. He just changes the words. I was like, he's like a grifter. And then Ethan Hawke says it, and Alicia's like, oh, he's such a cynic. And I was like, oh, that was, like, Shit, I am. That was my thoughts. And the same with the yeah. fortune teller. When she, and it, you can tell it affects her. She's sitting there listening to him like criticize this, and it meant something to her when she's having her palms read. And then he just like craps on it. And I have that issue too with that sort of like hokey pokey stuff yeah. as well. It's I can to- I can totally remember relation like conversations with people like you're interested in or you're flirting with, and it's like they they value this, and you're kind of like 
yeah, but you don't really, right? And then it's that awkwardness of like, oh, okay, we go. Let's yeah. confront this later. Let's not let it ruin the moment. Sweep it under the rug. Exactly. It'll, My family it'll ruin motto. Marriage eighteen years later. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I think there is definitely a magic to seeing like the first time. It's like no one's made a film like this before. This is magic. And Before Sunrise does have probably my favourite moment of any of the films, which is the, um, the dinner conversation where, or the cafe where they're pretending to phone each other. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. Uh, I usually get this guy's answering machine. Hi, dude. What's up? Uh... <laughs> I'm like, oh. that, feel, I was, that moment was just so tender. And like when she's when she said she's doing the voice, she's like, "Hey, dude!" I laughed out loud. I was like, "Holy crap, that never happens!" But I was just so so disarmed by because I was so invested. I'm like, "That seems amazing." How funny! I won't go into this because it's not my commentary. But after we watched the three films, my wife said that was her least favorite scene of the three. Who it was the phone call conversation? <laughs> I loved no. it. Loved it. Yeah. Because I'm a romantic. See. <laughs> All right. Well then. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, Midnight is the worst. Let me go on record. I don't agree, but just for the not sake the of it. Not the worst. Three great films. Not, not the, le- the least best. So before Who we continue, sorry. Oh, sorry. Right. Yep. Just interesting point to bring up, though. It, like on Rotten Tomatoes, I know this you can't trust it, but critical reception, have you checked the scores? Like do you know them? Because I've first... Got, I've got it right here, man. First one's 100%. Second one's yep. 95%. And then it goes up to 98% for the third one. So Sunset critically is considered the worst. Well, no one trusts Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not. No. Actuality. So, but on that point, IMDb's got them as 8.1, 8.1, and 7.9. Supports your argument. And then Metascore is I'm, um, Sunrise only has 77, Sunset has 90, and then Midnight has 95. It's all so, over the shop. Every, that's the thing. Everyone has different like, things that they take away from each film, I guess. They do, but Metascore is more accurate than Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, something I was reading this week was saying people people will find the best one is the one that they relate to the most, depending on what age they are. Like that's, and I think that's pretty true. Well, hundred percent. Sunrise is mine. I'm just a big old still haven't grown up. Gaga land. I can't wait till we revisit this in nine years and we're just like before midnight, man. It's, it's like they looked into my soul. <laughs> all just grizzled, grizzled old man. All right, who's to blame then? How? It's kind of a loaded question, but if we have to, we need to try to figure out an answer. What's the problem with it? So it's sort of what we've gone over. If we're going with that answer, it, I feel like it's introducing a bunch of characters, and I understand why they did it, but that honestly is when I think why the third is the worst. That's what I go to straight away is that 20 minutes and like Ethan Hawke talking to those people about his book ideas and everything. That's what brings it down. Because honestly, once they're on their own and then they start that fight, that's so powerful. Like the last 40 minutes of that movie is so well acted and so so well written and everything. It's such such a good like second act of that film. Um, but that's the, the only thing I have about the third one is that the scene with the other characters that are introduced and it feels like we don't really get them. We have the car, car trip there and then it's, okay, now it's this, whole different dynamic that we haven't had in the other two films which is obviously realistic and everything but yeah that's my own issue so i guess that's what i blame it on because the writing's still top notch i feel like in all like you can't fault the writing it's still really good in number three the only other thing in number three that 
annoyed me a little bit is do you guys feel like Celine was done a bit dirty? Like she she's quite irrational in that movie, I felt like. Like she's trying to say and I mean maybe I just relate to Jesse too much or something. I mean not that I feel like I do, but like there's lots of scenes where she's saying, Oh, you want me to move to Chicago? And he's like, I never said that and he didn't really say that, but you know, maybe like I can understand her point of view, feeling guilty about the sun and all this sort of stuff, but she in that fight she definitely felt I don't know. She felt a little bit irrational to me. Do you guys agree or not? Well, I feel like her whole thing in number three is she has this sort of stuff building up underneath the surface, mm. like resentment towards him. And basically that argument is to just throw everything. As as people do in arguments, they bring up stuff that pissed him off two months ago that has nothing yep. to do with this and be like, oh, and you didn't wash the dishes that day. It's just like... It's that, and she comes across like that and throwing all this stuff. I don't necessarily think that she, like, I was sort of on her side in the fight. I felt like Jesse, Jesse was the one that, even though she, if she was being irrational, he was very condescending and, like, yeah, the whole okay. the whole clapping scene. They're just like, oh, dude, no, I've done <laughs> that. Like, exactly. like, don't do that. Towards, definitely towards the end, like, I was not on his team, but, like, the start yeah. of the fight. I, I felt like maybe she was being a bit irrational, but he definitely seemed very detached as well, and he wasn't really trying, doing himself any favours at all. And I think that's realistic with how she's just had this resentment build up that she he does like you know she thinks he wants her to leave this aside, cancel this, that she is getting the blame for ruining his life, and he does keep going on about it, like oh, I've I've messed this up, I need to fix this, and uh, basically I kind of regret doing this, or I shouldn't have done that. And it's basically like, well, all the hard work I've put in to make this marriage and raise our kids has been for nothing while you're there writing your books about this guy who sees all this stuff in the world and all, all that, you know? She's just like, yeah, over it and sort of resents him for it. Yeah, I definitely found a similar, like, I I kept thinking at points and like she was being a bit more unfair because you're actually, he's bringing up that point of like, you want me to move to Chicago? So he, he never said that. But then at the same time, she knows full well that this is sort of what he does. Mm. Like, obviously, she knows him as a character so well now. It's like, this is how... So it's kind of like she knows that that's what he's implying. And even though he won't admit it, she can sort of see that. And so she's yeah. like... And she's really at a... Like, her character's at an interesting point because she's kind of in this weird... Like, where obviously Jesse has been successful and now he's at a point where he's not so successful, but he sort of hasn't confronted that. And she's at a point where she's also confronting her own failure. And they're both confronting the death of their idealism. They're confronting the fact that they're not in, like that the fairy tale's done and that they've sort of got to now be like, this is what real life is and it's, it's not that flashy. And Jesse says that, he's like, you, you believe in a fairy tale, like, this is real life though. But if you want true love, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. And if you can't see it, then you're blind. All right, I give up. And, so, and so she's sort of at a crisis with her work. She's like, what does this mean? She, She's always sort of viewed herself as like a bit of a feminist icon where she's like, I need to do great things. She's always sort of taken on that mantle, whether whether intentional or not. And so she's at a point where she's like, my life won't let me do that. And I can totally, like, I totally relate to that idea of, you know, like the responsibilities and the limitations of your situation and of life. Things that you follow in for, for good reason and that are good, but those things are sort of, you can seem like this is impeding something else that I wanted to do, or it's like, you know, here's what I look. Here's what I thought my life looked like. Here, here's what it's looking like now, and she's sort of having to confront that and be like, and so yeah, it is irrational because arguments are irrational. Mm. 
Yeah. No, mm. I think that's very fair. Yeah. Yeah. My like my only thing with the third one would be changing the beginning a bit. I I do understand the dinner scene. I I appreciate it. Maybe get rid of that rid of their really horny friend. I don't know. Do something about that scene though. <laughs> that's the only thing that I felt left me down. He makes bikes for a living. What what a legend. <laughs> why is he there though? Like he's he's not a rider. I don't really understand why he's there. I was wondering that. They never explained what his what his yeah, why he's there. It's like this rider invites great riders from the university and he's my bike maker friend. Yeah. Maybe Patrick's just I do a... I do like the line from his wife though where she says about people in comas like the women always ask, Oh, how how's my family? How are my kids? How's my husband? And the first thing a man always does is check under the blankets. <laughs> see if it's still there. I'm sure it all works. And it's absolutely true. Speaking as from a man who's been in a coma, I assume? Four years. Yeah. It's tough. Um yeah, I I don't have a thing for it. Again, my I didn't have any prep. Mine was written for Sunrise and What would you fix about Sunrise? So what yeah. Again, there's nothing to fix. It's just who is to blame. Sorry. However, that que- that question looks like. I'm saying he's a young director. He's still sharpening his craft, which, you know, you can say it's not an argument, but it's like, but it is because that's just how that's how it is. You get better at something. No, so that I, would be my. I, I do think that's fair, and I do think that movie has its rough edges. I just think if it's the first time you're seeing it, it, it definitely has a charm about it. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. It's like yeah, you're the first watch. It would definitely be probably the potentially the best. Um, all right. Do we think anyone deserved better in these films, or any concepts deserved better, like love? <laughs> um, yeah, like these movies were really hard to analyze from a point of view of trying to say that one is the worst. Like, I just don't think it really doesn't super fit this trilogy. Like, they, it's just such a tight trilogy. Um, and yeah, I, like I, I don't know of anything that that deserved better. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, Celine's ex-boyfriend that she murdered after he broke up with her. What? You know how she killed her ex-boyfriend? She's telling me when they're playing pinball. I don't, I don't remember that part, but yeah, he did. He probably does deserve better. That pinball machine deserves better. They were terrible. Oh my god, <laughs> they were basically <laughs> humping it. I don't know what was. <laughs> That's I how asked you play like, pinball. That's how you play pinball. You just thrusting into it, and I was like, was kind like of... but you. It's kind no, of a suggestive point of it, though, too. But you slap the paddles right, and they're just like not doing it. I'm like, no, you you slam those. You don't just wait. Yeah, amateurs. Yeah, pinball. You're right. Pinball deserves better. Pinball deserves better. Homeless poetry. Um. And plays, plays. They didn't go to the play. <laughs> I'm play. I'm the cow. I'm the cow. Chekhov's <laughs> I love that they come back to that and they're just like, oh crap, we didn't go to that guy's play. See, yeah. I really like that they forgot it. Like, and it was yeah, just this thing like, oh, the night it. went on and, oh, wait a minute, that, that play with the dude that plays a cow. Even though the yeah. whole movie, I was like, when are they going to the play? <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be need the emotional to see this cow. The yeah. cow's going to make him cry and they're going to just be like, this is who we are. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Those guys were kind of rude as well. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Austrians deserve better. Because they're kind of like, hey, what can we do here? And they're just like, why'd you come here for one day? Why? The museums are closed. And it's like, geez, all right, all right. Just, just asking for your help. You don't it's need to be definitely rude. a very strange exchange. I, yeah, he stands out. And Jesse's not nearly standoffish enough. He's just like, oh, I don't know, man. Reality, an American tourist would be like, you got a problem, bro? And he just like starts swinging. Let me get my gun. 
That's the thing. <laughs> I think that kind of could be a detractor for Sunrise. Is though I don't think those two guys on the bridge are great actors. So it, it sort of takes away when these people feel really real and then they're these two sort of stiff actors. I don't know. Or it could just be their awkwardness, but they it did seem across like a weird interaction. Yeah, look, I've met amateur actors there. They're kind of weird people. No offense to any amateur actors I know. All right. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about the quote unquote worst. Which which film's the best? Luke, I think you're the the differing voice here. So I'll just say my piece on Sunrise. Um I I, I was I don't know, I guess it is just that fairy tale thing. I was the most enchanted during Sunrise. It had that thing where I had went in with low expectations, and that's probably what did it for the other two. I went in with low expectations. Not low expectations, but I didn't think it would personally be my liking, um, and I was blown away. I was really surprised. I really enjoyed it. I I loved the whole, you know, it, yeah, basically was like a fairy tale version of love and pain and all this, and it was it's joyful to watch, like, these two people, like, be awkward around each other. It gives you those first date vibes that remind you of, you know, was nothing your, awkward your wife or when you first met, like that whole awkward stage. Just like, uh, you'll be my wife and you'll bear my child one day. And oh, okay. Here we are. Well, There's more lumberjack, but... Beep, boop, beep, robot Conan. Um, and then that's just my thing for number one. I was most captivated. I, I like how, you know, they're sort of doing this whole thing where they're both like cynical in a way, but about different things. Like one is cynical, you know, Jesse, she's cynical about love in like a way, like talking about her grandmother and like, no, oh, this is what she was like her whole life. And she did this. And Jesse is sort of this whole, Oh, get off the train now. Like, let's just do this thing. But he's also, he's cynical about a lot of other people like the poet and the um, palm reader and everything like that. And how they sort of reverse roles throughout the movie in regards to certain topics and everything. But I like how they sort of keep putting off like, oh, we will ruin it if we exchange numbers or do this or should we write? No, let's just leave it up to this chance thing. And then when she's about to get on the train, they have that moment where basically it turns real for a second and you can see how much they really feel like this is something really special. What are we doing? Oh, God, I've got to hop on this train. Okay, please, please be like you can tell the like the rawness that they really, really yeah. Like I, feel something for each other in that moment. We can all agree really it was special. just a terrible idea to not exchange numbers, though, right? Like, mostly I was just mad we hadn't exchanged any phone numbers or I any know, information. I know, that was so stupid. No way to get in touch. I, know, I didn't we even had know your last name. I know, I know. I mean, but remember, we were both afraid that if we started writing and calling, that it would slowly, you know, fade out. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a slow fade. No, it sure was. Yeah, it's it is weird. Well, even but, exchange so, like ma mailing addresses or something. Like, if you want to be weird. <laughs> Write each other handwritten 95, That'll keep the magic alive. So, I don't know if you guys saw this, but this was the idea of this was actually based off a real-life thing that happened to Richard Linklater. So, he met a a woman named Amy when he was shopping with his sister for some some toys or something. And they were kind of flirting. He ended up convincing her to walk around Philadelphia with him for a while. Or maybe she did. Either way, they they sort of had this little thing. They wandered around the city. They talked. They hung out. And they exchanged, like, they stayed in contact for a while, but then that did kind of die after a bit. And he found out, I think, after Sunset came out that she had actually passed away and he didn't know about it. So there's kind of something to that, that maybe if they did exchange contact, we wouldn't have these films because they would have just been like, hey, hey, yeah, let's be friends, and then it would have faded out. One a question I want to pose to you guys before we get into your answer for Sunsets. 
at the end of it, so more so probably at the end of it, the first film, where, what did you guys think when you first watched it? Do you think, did you think they were going to meet up in six months or not? I thought no chance. No. I mean, it's, he's like in another, like he's flying across the ocean to get there. Like it's a huge barrier to entry for yeah. that to ever occur. It just seemed incredibly, um, seemed like a dream. Like it just seemed very unlikely that would ever work out. I read the synopsis of Before Sunset on IMDb and was like, oh, they meet up again after nine years on seeing each other. Okay. Oh, see, because that's the thing. I was, going into Sunset, I was like, have they been together for nine years or are they just yeah going to bump into each other again nine years down the road? I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Had to wait nine long years. So you guys think Sunset? Griner, I want you to tell me why. Oh, sorry. I didn't even hear the question. Before Sunset. All right. <laughs> the, the, all right the, so the things I liked about Before, Before Sunset, I feel like they drop a lot of the pretentiousness of the first film. So Jesse's trying to, you know, impress Celine with all these high-minded ideas. And I feel like a lot of that pretentiousness is, is gone because, I, like, they're just so elated at meeting each other again. I enjoyed the resolution to that, that, to that question of did, did they meet each other after six months? Um, and of, of him being there and her not being there and her having a perfectly good reason. But, yeah, I just really enjoyed that exchange where they, they find that out about each other. Did you? Oh, oh thank God you didn't. <laughs> well, thank I'm God, like, thank uh, God oh you didn't. God. I mean, thank God I didn't oh. and you didn't. I mean, one of us had showed up there alone, and that would have sucked. I know, I know. I was so concerned with that. I, I always felt horrible about not being there, but I couldn't. You know, my grandma died a few days before, and she was buried that day. Wait, why weren't you there? I would have been there if I could have. I made plans and we, you better have a good reason. What? Oh, no. No, you were there, weren't you? Um, I thought him writing the book to get back in touch with her was, was very sweet, very touching and a really nice sort of wrinkle to this story. Like, I just thought yeah. that was just cool. Like, I just thought that was a cool idea. Um, and I, the, the whole film actually... I kind of enjoyed that it had a sense of urgency to it. Like you, the whole time you're like, he's only got, like he's got 10 minutes to meet up with her and realistically it was an hour and a half or something. But um, yeah, you just, there was this sense of urgency to the time they had together. I enjoyed how like the first movie, it seems like Jesse's quite pessimistic about things while Celine is quite optimistic. And this, that really flips in this second movie. Like she's, she's really concerned about the environment and all this stuff. And Jesse's kind of like, no, it's going to be all right. Right. Like it's going to be okay. Um, mm. like they just the way their views had changed, I really enjoyed. Um, and I really enjoyed the end as well. Like, like her saying, you know, you're going to miss your flight, and him saying, I know. That's like, yeah, I found that really sweet. I really enjoyed it. It's still kind of open ended, a bit of a cliffhanger, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I just thought it was the tightest of the movies, and it just worked really well. Yeah, there's um, there's definitely some scenes in Sunset that I think are the highlight of the trilogy. So I really like the scene at the cemetery where they're going through it and she's talking about like this going to this grave when, you know, she was 13 years old and it was the same age. And she's like, Oh, I'm old now. And she's still the same age. It's in sunrise, isn't it? Yeah. It's, that's a sunrise scene. No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. No, it's sunset. No sunset. They have the, the bookshop to the cafe. They walk to... through a garden. And... That's right. It's the long, the long garden walk. And then, and then they're on the boat. When they're on the boat, and then it's a taxi home. You are completely correct. Well, that's another point for Sunrise. Oh, um, was... <laughs> I, okay, with Sunset, I do like the the trip back to her apartment. How basically... Oh, is, that fight. Does... 
like they have a fight and she's like, let me out of the car. And he's like, no, no, no. And she talks about like having this resentment that, you know, he wrote that book and this and has made her realize what she's like missing in her life and stuff like that. It's was really good. I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. They fight so well in this and midnight. It's just their fights are like, man, you feel like walls are crumbling down. You feel like you're getting, it's, it hits the heart. Like I, I finished sunset and I was just like, I've been on a roller coaster, man. I'm just so elated now, but I've just like that scene is intense watching it. Conan, why do you think Sunset's the best? All right, I got lots of reasons. So strap yourself in. <clears throat> Firstly, I think it's got a lot of the quotes that I really like the most. So meaning is in the doing. Really good. Life's hard. It's supposed to be. If we didn't suffer, we wouldn't learn a thing. It's a good yeah. lesson for everybody. I'm designed to feel slightly dissatisfied, man. I feel like that all the time. I'm just like these little <laughs> lines here. I'm just like. Man, you're speaking to me, Ethan. I just think this this one specifically, it really, I really resonate just sort of with like the constant feeling of like the magic is gone, but there's still a spark there. I don't, it's just, it's, it feels so much more grounded. Like he is a really grounded character. He's really sort of docile to start with. And he's kind of just like, oh, so you've been good. Like he get, like you said, Grant, he's not talking about big ideas. He's not like trying to impress her. He's just like genuinely being like, how have you been? I've missed you. I want to know everything that's going on. And like they, they feel they feel like awkward friends. Like I know what that's like to, to catch up with old friends. And it's like, or people you sort of knew and you're like, you kind of nav- trying to navigate that. And it's like, you never talk about what's really going on. Like the fact that it keeps the bombshell that he's married until halfway through the film mm. is such a great choice. It works so well for the characters and for the general, like the plot propulsion. And like you just, the whole time you're watching, you're waiting for this. It's like, where are they going to get to the nitty the nitty gritty and like i say, there's this tension of like they've only got an hour and a half to talk when are you guys going to confess your love when are you going to like cry and stuff and it but it's like that's not what happens and it's just something about it feels so magical because it's like this is the first one feels almost too optimistic whereas this is like this is what it's really like it's so bittersweet every conversation they have like you can tell that he's been really deflated by it a little bit but he's not admitting it and she doesn't want to admit that she feels the same way it's like I don't know. There's something about it that is so charming and so. I love Sunset so much. I don't know. I, mean, I really like Sunset. I think, and there's this little, little thing, like the little how he keeps on making jokes about her being a communist is like a really sort of funny. <laughs> and it's like he just keeps making quips. He's like, "No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry." But it's like, like kind of. I don't know. So it's just it's really funny. They're really genuine. And I think it's and like I said before, I think it's really really well structured. Like, I don't know. I watched this the episode of um lessons from the screenplay, and it's re- he goes through it, and it's really interesting, and just like how it follows a really unseen structure, but it keeps it going so well. Whereas the first one doesn't have that nearly at all. I think the first one is literally just kind of like building character the whole time. And the third one is more of like a two act sort of thing. This has just got this phenomenally tight structure that works in like an hour and 20 minutes. And just, yeah, you're, you're constantly engaged. There's never a dull moment, even though there are so many conversations that are like, what have you been doing for work? And like, it's the most banal conversations of any of the three films, I think, but they're the most interesting as well. It's like when you finally come back to our town and we catch up and I'm just like, so, so what, what do you do? What, what have you been up to? And you have exactly. that awkward thing where you're like, oh, how do I talk to this guy now? I don't know. And then by 100%. the end, you're like, we're just confessing our love to each other. <laughs> it's true. We're just, we're just like, we're just talking about deep things. We're just like, man. I think reincarnation what is life? exists. What is life? Like, what is living? Yep. Yeah, pretty exactly. much. Yeah, I just, I, I resonate with that so well. Like, yeah, coming, 
going back home and seeing people and there is that sort of that, that barrier up at first of like, I have to re-enter this. I find it, yeah, I just find it very, very real and they capture it perfectly. Yeah. So before midnight wins, we all agree? Sorry. <laughs> Not before midnight, before sunset? Yes, I would agree with that. I'll, I'll give it to you because honestly, I really enjoyed before sunset too. So Fantastic. Luke, what's your wife's favorite out of curiosity? Um, before sunrise as well. Grant, did you watch, did you watch this with yep. your wife? I did. I just, she didn't love these movies that much. I don't think. She, oh, really? She tolerated them, I think, but she wasn't that into them. Okay. Did she have a favorite at the end, or? I did ask her. She had trouble deciding. I think. I mean, I was. I couldn't even figure out what my favorite was by the end of it. We were just sort of. Like I think she enjoyed it, but yeah, I think I. I don't know. I enjoyed it more than her for some reason. <laughs> even though I would have thought this movie suited her more than me. And Conan, did you watch this with your wife? Yeah, I did. Um, I was really surprised that the first one I made her, I was, she was just, she didn't want to, but I was like, you have to. And then she was each time, she was like, we're going to watch the next one now, we're going to watch the next one. So she was really keen for it. And she wasn't like blown away. She's not a big movie person, but she did enjoy them. And she was very, she hated Midnight because she was like, they, I don't want them to fight. I, they need to be together. Like, <laughs> what, Get what ready was for real life. Mm. I should didn't ask her. I should have. I would assume before sunrise. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just being the romantic that she is. Uh, there was something I thought I really I liked how in all of them, sort of Linklater uses the um he uses the cities that they're in. He uses like the uses the the environment to sort of prompt stories and to tell stories. Like in the in Sunrise, there's a scene where they're on the boat and they're sort of looking to water, and so Celine tells her story about the water birth. And then later on, like as the as the sun's rising, they pass that house and the guy's playing the harpsichord. And they sort of have a dance and it's like, this is like the final waltz of the night. There's like little things like that where it's like they're navigating the city. And so you sort of get a real sense of the, the city as character and sort of how that, how, why these conversations are happening. It just makes it seem better than like, it doesn't make it seem like they just wrote a bunch of topics to talk about and they're pulling them out of the hats. It's like, this is actually what you would see them go, oh, that's an interesting story about this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Did you guys find really that? Agree? Disagree? No, I agree. I, I do really, I really like that scene where they take a mental picture of each other. Oh, so cute. Yeah, I think I agree. I, like, I think that's something that's lost a little bit in the third one too. Like, it's, a lot of it takes place in this hotel room. Like, Which not, is they don't symbolism. The city. But they do go to that. They do go to the church, and it's kind of that um, mm. that scene where I think she even almost says it. We're in a church. You want to get married? No. It's just all those fairy tales they like so much, you know. It's like, this is the end of the fairy tale. It's got all this confrontation, like this, yeah, it sort of really sort of sets it up and like how they want to see the ruins driving past it. And it's kind of like, and so she's sort of like, no, like they wanted to see the ruins. She's a bit more interested. And he's like, no, 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 we, can, we can't stop. And it's kind of like, I don't know, that sort of prompts out a little bit of like how they approach that philosophy. Like, it's yeah, quite probably symbolic. not as much, but. Quite is. symbolic thinking about it, how they do go on that walk, the little walk through this, like the streets and have that talk about where they'll be in 50 years time and they go to the church she says that then they sit there and watch the sunset and say like you know it is still there still there, gone now let's mm. go back and fight for 50 minutes because yep. it's gone now so it's dark let's go into a cramped little apartment and fight yeah it's it's nice it's good i don't really know if i have too much else to say i mean i could just go on and on and on but i got a couple of things did you, yep. did you guys notice that these movies were predicting the future? So 
in Before Sunrise, at the start, Ethan Hawke is talking about, he's basically describing reality TV. Like, he's talking about following around a person with a camera, seeing what happens to them. This movie takes place in, what, 1995? Like, Survivor and Big Brother, they did not come out till the late 90s. Like, this is an idea that did not really exist at this time. Yet he Mm. predicted one of the biggest TV things that would happen over the next couple of decades. In Sunset... She's really right. concerned about global warming. Now, global warming, of course, existed then, but it wasn't something that was on the precipice of everybody's mind. It wasn't something that people were really thinking about back in 2000 and 2017 years ago. Yeah, it, I found yeah, that watching yeah, Sunset especially, like I was like, wow, this was 17 years ago. And it's like, it's still true now. It feels yeah. like that could be released this year and have that same commentary. Yeah, like it shows this yeah. character's really on the precipice of this, but I don't know, it just very, very predicting of what people are going to be interested in. And then Midnight, they're talking about making connections online. And they're specifically talking about Skype, but they're talking about, like, um, having sex online and stuff like this. And these are things that are, particularly now with COVID, are being developed more than they ever were before. I I remember when when he said that, he's like, they've got this thing you can set your, you'll be able to set it up to your genital and just do what you want. I'm like, I remember, they made that a few years ago. I remember seeing that come in. Like, they actually made that technology. (laughs) These, these things right. are around and they're, they're going to be bigger now that people are less connected physically. Yeah. Do you think that's that's the fourth before film? They just like, they live in separate apartments and they just sort of... It could be. They might reconnect. They might have separated and they reconnect online. Oh, yeah. Just a, They've been making it this whole time. It's yeah. a COVID film. You heard it here first. Over yeah, Zoom chat. Yeah. Different countries, they can't travel. That would actually be the perfect Zoom film. Like the wow, I got to call Richard up. <laughs> Get him on the line. Um, my, the other thing I wanted to talk to, talk to you guys about is um, how did you feel about that philosophy that they talk about, particularly at dinner, of that all relationships will break up, all relationships are temporary. Do you guys agree with that statement? I I disagree, but I'm in a loving marriage, so like I I don't know. <laughs> well, we Obviously, all have to say that now, don't we? Well, no, no it's sense just... that we would have this answer because we're all young and married and still. Hopefully happy, but... <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. Everyone will come away with different interpretations, you know, and I think it all comes to their experience in life, you know, like, say, my wife, um, parents separated when she was very young. My parents this year celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. So it's Dang. just like before, like, we, like, were a couple. She was very much a cynic in that sort of thing, and I was very much an optimist, like, oh, no, I'm going to find a wife and be happy forever you know it's it's yeah i guess it all just depends on the influences in people's life like nurturing and everything like that what how they view relationships and stuff like that hmm. i know granted what do you what do you think of it uh I, like i don't agree but i like i think they made some interesting points about people needing to have their own their own space and their own time and their own interest like they made some points about sort of codependency and how that can happen in relationships and how it's not not necessarily healthy and i think i think that was interesting but i don't necessarily agree that that all relationships are temporary i feel like that's a bit reductive a bit silly and as long as people grow people grow and love each other even more yeah they're definitely they're definitely conversations that i've or like things that i've thought about and like is like when he's like love in sunrise he mentions how love is the most selfish act and i'm like it's an interesting take, but it's like it's not completely nonsensical. I don't agree with it, but it's like there is some element of truth there, and just sort of that how the idea they ask all these questions about what what is love like, and it really reflects that Generation X sort of thing of like disillusionment with 
just the boomers and sort of that era of and just kind of be like, what even is love? What even is the institution of marriage after no fault divorces sort of come in and everyone's everyone's breaking up? Um, you know, I don't agree with it, but it is one of those. It's the great questions of the film of like, can people change or do people change? And like, sort of that idea of how relationships work in that. It's like, is relation because in Sunset, obviously Jesse has that breakdown where he's like. At first, he's like he believes the lie, and he's like, "Love is a choice. It's just something that you you commit to doing, and you stick with it, and that's that's what love is." And he's he doesn't believe in romance anymore. But then he kind of falls apart by the end of it. He's like, "There's got to be more to it than that." But then you see in Midnight, it's like, is he changing as a person? It's kind of like I don't think I don't know if Jesse is changing too much. And it's like, does that mean that love's going to last? Because yeah, does love last if people don't change? Does love last if they do? Mm. Like, I guess the, the most poignant one is what that old lady says. Just like our life. Hmm? We appear and we disappear. And we are so important to some, but we are just passing through. It's a passing through. Even if relationships don't end, like people die, and so they do have to end eventually in flight. Mm. There is something really sort of poignant to that of like, yeah, it's not permanent. There is no, even if you are together your entire life, it's like once someone dies, that person will be sort of, the other, the other party will be alone then. We are all stardust. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing I had was um, she, just, when they're walking to the hotel, she's trying to sort of trap him like, if you met me today on the train, would you try and get me to, to get off the train with it? Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That conversation was pretty relatable for me. Like, I've definitely been in those traps where there's not really a good answer. Like, if you answer yeah. to appease them, they're like, you know, you don't really mean it. And uh, if you disagree, then obviously you're in trouble too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. I know. <laughs> the exact thing where it's like, who's 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 better looking at it, me or this person? It's like, well, yeah, you know I'm lying if I say one, but if I don't say that, then it's just, yeah, this... This is rigged. The only winner is to not play. That's the Yeah. But something's like great to that where it's like, even though they're older and they, they talk about how like in Sunset Jesse said Oh one second, I'll just say I don't know why he wasn't just like, Yeah, of course. I mean, she aged much better than Ethan Hawke did. <laughs> like oh, I, I Ethan Hawke's not gonna pick up any other people. Like he's Oh, he did he... on his book tour, though, supposedly. Yeah. Mm. That's that skinky book person. I um, I lost my train of thought. Thanks, Luke. A train in, a train in France? It was in Austria. I don't know. I forgot it. I apologize. Um, well, I guess, is there anything else you guys wanted to mention? Or... No, I think, I think we covered it well. All right. Before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight. Best trilogy ever made. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on this week's episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Worst. Uh, next time, Luke, what do we have? So, you know, one of my favorite catchphrases in life is, you've got a friend in me. Well, you do have a friend in me. We're going to be reviewing the Toy Story trilogy this next fortnight. Now, the only question is, do we review number four as well? Because I do believe Toy Story 1 to 3 has a perfect arc and a perfect ending to it, but then they added a fourth one, which is a really good film as well. So do we want to review four or just keep it as the trilogy? I'm happy to do either or.
I think we have to do the four because three was kind of like a not a reboot, but it was like a return to it where they're like the series was done and they like they reignited it. And four is part of that, so I'm happy with that. Yeah. Let's do all four then. All right. All right. Toy Stories. All right, join us next time for the Toy Story quadrilogy. Um, thank you again. Follow us on all the great platforms. Like, share, subscribe, tell your mates, tell your work colleagues, send leave notes lying around in cafes. And that's that. Love you. See all. ya. I'm Macau. <laughs> <laughs>